56 degrees. Joining me in the studio this morning with Big River Resources, CEO and President David Zimmerman. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Vanessa. How are you? Good. Good to see you again. You too. Yeah, getting... uh, Getting all prepared for today's Illinois Corn TV episode, and I've been, of course, doing some research on some of the policy legislation rulings that have been taking place, so we'll get to those in a minute. First, mm-hmm. give us an update about how things are at Big River. Well, it's it's been a really it's been a really strong year so far, and, and you know, obviously when, when things got a little dry here in the middle of June, we, we, uh, we were a little concerned, but on my drive-in this morning, I was, I was happy to see uh, a lot of corn starting to pollinate. Um, I saw an airplane, uh, presumably putting some fungicide on. Um, we got those rains just in time. Now we've got a long way to go here. Um, we still have all of July and August weather, um, you know. And there's some some talk that maybe the maybe the row size on these on these uh, uh, ears of corn might be a little bit down based on the dryness in mid June. But so we really we really need to fill out this 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 ear of corn um, in July and August, but. So we're, we're comfortable that we're going to have a crop this fall. We don't know what size, but up until now, obviously, we've been grinding old crop. Um, we've been getting good supplies. Our, we had really good local crops, as you know, last year, and that's been very helpful. Um, so we've been very competitive in the corn space um, versus, you know, some Western plants that had a little more trouble with their crops. So um, we've been running the plants hard. We, we, we're, we're seeing strong margins all the way up here through our our June um, month end that we just uh, just completed. So, yeah, we're in a good spot right now. Looking to, uh, looking to the last six months, and I think things look pretty strong there too as well. Good. I'm glad the demand is there. Glad the crop is there. The old crop, especially to get that utilized. We're in Galva, uh, Burlington, Dyersburg, and and then Boyceville, Wisconsin. Boyceville, Wisconsin. Yep. How many bushels of corn do we need on average to produce the amount of ethanol Big River needs? Um, about 150 million bushels. That's fantastic. Yeah. And yeah. what a what an opportunity, what a market for us. Yeah. It is it really is a good market because when you think about, you know, the difference between this year and last year as far as as corn usage, um, two years ago we had a really strong export pull. Um, you know, the ethanol space we continue to use five point two billion bushels, you know, roughly every year. Um, this year what's made the corn a little bit easier to originate has been that, that export pull has really dropped off pretty dramatically um, over the last two years. I think we were 2.2 or 2.3 billion bushels of exports uh, the prior year, and this year we're on pace to do about 1.7 to 1.8. So, um, you know, that the, the export side of the corn equation is always a little bit inconsistent, but uh, I, it's always one of my favorite things to point out that the, the ethanol side is very consistent. So, You know, and I would have thought because of the COVID pandemic, that we would have been off on our exports while people weren't driving as much during the pandemic and the demand would be greater now for our exports. I think it was more of an inflationary type of a situation when we came off of COVID and, and you, you saw a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of low interest rates and you saw a lot of, a lot of money chasing what was probably too few goods at the time and, and our exports fell into that. Our dollar was still relatively cheap at that point in time, but um, you can see the environment starting to shift. Interest rates are going up. Um, the dollar uh, is going up versus other currencies, so some of our exports have suffered on that front. And remind us of how many local jobs that you employ at Big River Resources in our size communities. Well, we have two, about 250 jobs total. Um, so if you look at our, our facility at Galva, we're, we're north of 50 uh, full-time employees there with full benefits. 
Um, and then, of course, we've got the grain elevator system here in western Illinois that includes Monmouth and Gerlau and, and uh, Alito and Edgington and Joy. So um, we also employ folks there at, in our grain elevator system. Okay, good. Yeah, I was listening to Rob Elliott. He interviewed with Kaylee uh, just uh, last week, I think it was, while I was on vacation. And it was just nice hearing how this industry was created because the market was it was um, it just stagnant. Uh, for corn farmers and so with this ethanol industry over the last few decades it's really been able to provide not only uh positivity for our farmers to grow their income but look at today's world and how much more of a cleaner burning fuel ethanol can be as a contributor to all of these goals that people mm-hmm. have don't know who all the people are but the epas and whatnot <laughs> for our our carbon neutrality so to speak so who did we know that several decades ago no, I don't think the carbon piece of the ethanol equation was even really. Cons- I mean, yes, the RFS does does account for for carbon as as part of the potential solution, but I think demand was really the main driver. If you look back in the in the late '90s and early 2000s, and we were just we were just anchored at you know two dollar and fifty below the cost of production for these producers, um, you know, having to rely on 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 government uh, supplements to their income, and and now. You know, from that period to now, we're 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 using about forty percent of that corn crop locally to produce, uh, you know, locally grown fuels, and uh, it's just been a boon, um, and it's helped it's helped that farmer to get back above the cost of production, and and uh, like I said, it's a nice consistent demand um, for local corn. Sure, and let's talk policy and legislation, um, Mr. Zimmerman, about. You know, we, we like I said, Rob was on the air, and we heard about the the they call them cafe standards, the yeah. uh, EPA rule about what EVs will look like, the mandates on tailpipe emissions. Yeah, set the stage for us. Well, this one's particularly frustrating. Uh, it's, it's the cafe standards. You're you're 100 right, uh, Vanessa. It's the corporate average fuel economy standards. But as part of that, what they said is they set an emissions limit. It's called gram. Basically, they track grams of CO2 per mile driven. Um, so the EPA has, has always had pretty wide-ranging authority uh, to set those standards. Well, you know, and I, if you were at our annual meeting in March, I, I, I preference this a little bit, uh, saying that this was a concern of ours. We knew this was potentially coming. Um, and what they did was they set the, the, the CO2 limits, the carbon limits, so stringent by 2032 and it's not a it's not a mandate for electric vehicles, but it is a de facto mandate in that it essentially makes an internal combustion engine unable to compete. Now, the frustrating part is this is not a life cycle analysis that that has been done to determine what the carbon footprint of that that vehicle is. If you look at all of the material, the the carbon that is that is emitted in order to build that electric vehicle, the batteries and and all of those things. It's not, it's not taken into consideration, and um, I think from our standpoint, all we're trying to stand up and say is let's, let's get a well-to-wheels assessment of the carbon that is being emitted, whether it's an electric vehicle or an internal combustion vehicle, because you are ignoring one half of a huge segment in the transportation side that can, that can uh, contribute to reduce carbon, and that's, and that's, that's the ethanol side. Well, and, and the manufacturers, you're basically telling them if it doesn't have a tailpipe, it doesn't emit CO2. But as you've pointed out, that may not be the case in the production of these, well, especially the batteries. Yeah, yeah. And the manufacturers, I mean, they, 
they're they don't care for the, for the new standards either i mean they they want to make the the types of of cars that their consumers want um and I, I think there is some consumer demand, but ultimately a lot of consumers, especially in areas like ours, more rural areas, uh, we, we like our internal combustion. And, and with these standards, um, it really takes the consumer almost out of the picture a little bit. Which is so bizarre because the consumer is yeah. usually the one who demands the products and the job of the, the producer of the products should be to advertise because plenty of people are successful with their EVs, more power to them. If they want to have an electric vehicle to zip around town, there's nothing, no one's saying there's a problem with that. Right. It's just that you need some combustion for other activities, other things that need to be done uh, with the vehicle. Plus, again, choice in, in how you want to accomplish moving your you can't have an ev tractor necessarily if you run out of you know you, you can't you can't yeah. do that you don't want to go long-term trips yeah. necessarily and not have a charging station yeah the functionality is certainly in question um but to me the the national security aspect is one that, that, that really gets overlooked a lot of times and just just this morning as i was driving into the studio um the discussion i was hearing on the radio was was about China uh, imposing some trade restric restrictions on a couple of uh, rare earth metals, tech metals. Um, so, you know, the situation with China and, and um, as adversarial as that's getting, I think uh, for us to put our eggs in, in, in that electric basket that's really going to rely on a lot of materials from China, um, I think is short-sighted. Oh, that's a very good point. Yeah. Uh, I forgot about the rare earth minerals. They, they are the ones that are mining those uh, minerals. Yeah, yeah, and I think it was germanium and, and gallium. I'm not a, I'm not a chemist, but that's that's what I'd heard this morning. And those, you know, those are things that are required, along with lithium and cobalt and all of the all the rares that that go into these uh, into technology. And, and you know, we're limiting amount the amount of uh, AI chips that we're sending to China. So you, you can see you can see a certainly a trade war uh, in effect at this point. Sure. And what are we doing to continue to push for ethanol and this uh, this engine that we've talked about that is in the Next Generation Fuels Act? Yeah. Well, I think you know the cafe standards are what they are. We're, we're, obviously, I think those will be litigated at a certain point. There's there is a, there, there's something called a major doctrines clause that essentially says you know uh, an unelected agency cannot impose. Um, standards on the on the public that that have major economic impacts or major uh, impacts on their way of life. So I think that will certainly get get litigated. But we're using the opportunity to to say, hey, we're here. We have a homegrown, low octane, um, quality fuel, and you know, 10 percent, 15 percent. We can do 20 percent. We can do 30 percent. And guess what? The higher that that um, inclusion rate of ethanol is the greener that vehicle is the lower its carbon emissions um, and so 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 we're using it to to, to highlight that um, and I know the next generation fuels act has been uh, has been discussed and reintroduced so um, where it goes from here it, it's all going to depend on DC and, and how those discussions go sure I hope that they uh, have good quality discussions about it because there is room like we say for both for for electric as well, well as I think there's a necessity for both finesse. Sure. Really, I mean, it's so short-sighted to, to to focus on one technology and and really the the renewable fuel standard, um, you know, lays out that we we include more biofuels in our national pool every year. Um, so the EPA is really really 
really uh, tip the scales in favor of one technology over another for, for really no apparent reason that we can we can see. Well, somewhere someone knows why. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. You, you and I, I hope there's made... a grand plan, but yeah, I, right? I don't see it right now. <laughs> well, and we haven't even talked about, you know, the, the soy, uh, you know, biodiesel, any of that. I mean, because obviously corn is what your product is, but yeah, there's a whole whole new area of yeah. opportunity for biofuels well for sure and 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 then when i talk about the you know the carbon economy developing i mean um low carbon products everywhere from from fuels to plastics to to low carbon ammonia um, are all things that are are coming down the pike and you need low carbon feedstocks in order to develop those products so uh, it's it's a really interesting time with 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 what's going on. It really is. And Kaylee and I are going to get over to your place and do a tour. Uh, again, I haven't done it in a decade or more. So I'm looking forward to seeing everything again. We'll get some uh, some video and some interviews sure. while we're over there. Uh, what are your goals for the second half of the season? What advice do you have for farmers well, as we continue? Um, look, for us as a, as a company, we're still, we are still focused on our uh, lowering the CI score of our of our product, that being our main product, being ethanol, and, and obviously our corn oil, um, a low CI corn oil is going to have uh, is is going to have some usage in in the uh, biodiesel and renewable diesel world. Um, sustainable aviation fuel is something that we are continued uh, continuing to focus on, in order to get there and, and be a viable feedstock for that 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 growing and uh, burgeoning industry. We're going to have to have low carbon ethanol. Um, but that's something we really see in the future that, that could be um, very sizable demand uh, for the ethanol space. It's about 35 billion gallons nationally of, of aviation fuel. And by 2030, the goal is, the grand challenge is to have 3 billion gallons of sustainable aviation fuel developed in the United States. Um, and there are a few folks that are, that are working towards that path, but that's just a drop in the bucket to the size of that market. So. Um, you know, our, our, our initiative to sequester carbon is really the first thing um, that we need to do in order to be viable into that, that sustainable aviation fuel market. And, and we're well on the path uh, um, that direction. Okay. Well, keep up the good work. Keep talking to your legislators. We are very fortunate that they come to the Ag Roundtable and that we're able to continue to, to work with them on these very important matters. Well, our, our legislators in Illinois, kudos to them. They've done a good job. They've had some wins. That's where we've had some political wins, um, you know, with the, uh, with the, the $1.50 SAF uh, credit in Illinois, in Illinois that was passed, I believe, in February. And then with uh, Farm Bureau and Illinois Corn Growers, these guys did a great job getting these taxes, these tax reductions on, on ethanol pass. So 10% uh, of E15, 15% um, from E20 to E50, and then 100% tax credit for E85. So um, we've had some wins in Illinois. Fantastic. It is so good to catch up with you, David. I'm looking forward to seeing you over on site at Big River Resources. We'll be over there uh, shortly. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. CEO and President David Zimmerman with us. Big River Resources on 1330 WREM and FM 94.1. Coming up.